Welcome back, everybody, to the Three in Out podcast. It is now episode 21 in our season two series. Brett Shaw's always alongside Mike Cicchetti in the left and Pretzel Smoking Men Pope in the right. Uh, some very special guests today in the Three and Out podcast. Making a making a comeback for himself, Mr. Alex Green. Alex is back on the show. Alex, oh, he's giving his nice little wave in the back. What a what a gentle human being. AG but is an honorary member. Name. He, he is an honorary member of the Peanut Gallery from last year. <laughs> he is a member of the Peanut Gallery. Him and him and Andrew Mahalik. Idiot, that is true. That is true. Anyways. We are officially done with the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. Eight teams and four games. We are down to the final four teams moving into championship weekend. We're going to go through each game that recently happened and break it down. Then we're going to go into championship Sunday and break down each game. Who do we predict will win and move on to Super Bowl weekend, which is not the first week of February like it normally is. It is that second week now because of the week 18 schedule so without further ado let's get into it we're going to begin with the first game that happened saturday afternoon at four o'clock it was the chiefs and jaguars at burrowhead stadium jaguars look like they were pretty competitive in the first half they kept it a one score game for the most part Unfortunately, Patrick Mahomes went down in the early parts of the game with a high ankle sprain. It was eventually found out to be as. The Chiefs ended up scoring later in the game to put them up two scores. And then the Jaguars from there could not complete the comeback. Final score 27 to 20 in favor of the Chiefs. They move on to their fifth straight AFC title game um, in the last decade, which is absolutely remarkable. So. Guys, just immediate thoughts. What happened in this game, and do we see the Chiefs as a potential threat going forward with the news of Patrick Mahomes? So I think it's easy to say that, um, considering the injury, uh, the significance of a high ankle sprain that we usually see uh, amongst skill position players or even uh, amongst players in the secondary, this is usually a four- to six-week injury that, uh, players usually have to rehab from. Uh, but Patrick Mahomes is now most players. Uh, he was back out in the third quarter after suffering that high ankle sprain and played relatively well. Even when uh, Chad Henney had to come in the back quarterback for the Chiefs, uh, they then mounted the longest uh, touchdown drive in playoff history for the Kansas City Chiefs, a 12-play, 98-yard drive. Uh, that ended up in a touchdown. So even with the injury going on, the Chiefs didn't really look uh, like they had any uh, anything to really overcome. They had a really good running game uh, led up by Isaiah Pacheco, as always. He's been an amazing feat at, as he's taken over for Clyde Edwards-Alaris and made back. Um, a really good game from Travis Kelsey, 14 catches, uh, was really good on the first couple drives with Mahomes in, uh, even before he got the injury. Um, so the offense looked really good. They didn't really miss a step when Mahomes left. I think it's going to be something that they do have to deal with. Um, and luckily, the pass protection has been really good for Patrick Mahomes, not only in the playoffs so far, uh, in the one game against Jacksonville, very limited pressures from Jacksonville and their defense. 
but also just throughout the entire season. He's working with one of the best O-lines in the league. They did that for a reason to protect their quarterback. Now they're really going to be leaning on that. Both both of these teams that are going to be in the AFC Championship really leaning on what their O-lines are able to do. And Kansas City is more dependable. Have to see what they're able to do on the defensive side of the ball. They look decent enough against Trevor Lawrence and the Jags. Really didn't allow anything until the second half of the game. But this is something to keep in mind. But I don't think I'm going to downgrade the Chiefs in any fashion. I think that would be an overreaction. Yeah, I agree with you in saying this. The score, the box score looks closer than it actually was watching the game because the Chiefs had the upper hand even with the injured Mahomes for more than half the game. Uh, the Chiefs the Chiefs basically overpowered, which I kind of expected in this game. Um, the Jags just were not remotely close uh, to the Chiefs level, which was expected. I mean, the Jags had an incredible run uh, this season and even the wild card round of the playoffs. But yeah, the Mahomes injury is definitely, definitely concerning. But I mean, early reports are saying it's good. And I mean, he's shown significant, significant um, improvements. Uh, I think they announced that even on Sunday. Um, So we will see how he progresses, though, through the week. Um, But it's definitely something to uh, keep in the back of your mind, though. Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree in the sense that what Mike said, the the Chiefs were basically on a whole other level the entire game. While the box score didn't really show that that separation um, between the both te- both the teams. If you watched all four quarters, all four quarters, it was pretty obvious throughout the entire time. Even with Chad Henney at quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs, but Kansas City officially moves on, as we mentioned, to the AFC title game against the Cincinnati Bengals. We'll talk about them in just a second. But now we move on to that later game that passed Saturday night in the NFC between the Giants and the Eagles in Philly. Philly, Philadelphia pretty much swept this game all four corners. It was a clean whooping. Uh, They scored over 30 points on a Giants defense that has been pretty successful this season. It's also the second time, I believe, they've put up over 30 on the Giants um, this year uh, between their Week 18 matchup and the past divisional round game. So with that being said, what were our takeaways from this game? Did we expect the Giants to blow this game as much as they did? Or were we expecting Philly to do just as they did so and murder? This was kind of unexpected for me. Not in the sense that I didn't expect Philly to be able to overpower them like they did because they have before earlier in the year. But I just think there were a lot of concerns with Jalen Hurts, uh, his sprained shoulder that he was going through on his throwing arm, uh, on top of him only playing one game in like a month. So there were some kind of questions about that. The run game and the defense was just no match. Or the Giants, I mean, uh, were no match for Philadelphia. It was just, it was just all bad. Um, and Carolina should have uh, extended Hassan Reddick, but they let him walk. Philly took him, and he's been incredible. He has been incredible. Um, shout out Hassan Reddick, and shout out James Bradbury too. 
Ben? Yeah, I don't think um, I really expected anything like this. I thought this was going to be one of the more close games of the weekend and uh, being the biggest blowout. And uh, this Philly team has really demonstrated, uh, honestly, throughout the season a little bit more in the first half of the year but that they are able to get out to really dominant leads and not look back from there. I know that they were more of a first-half uh, team, at least in regards to games. They get out to really big leagues, and they kind of let their opponent get back into it, but they really didn't allow the Giants to do anything in the second half of the game, let alone the first half. So they were able to really run the ball down their throats. Uh, that was something that I was really looking for. A big game from all three of the running backs. Miles Sanders got over uh, 65 yards for the first time in like a month or so, got 90. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell had a really big game, uh, had less carries than Sanders, but uh, over 100 yards and a touchdown. Boston Scott, the giant killer, he got a touchdown as well. So it was really dominant run game uh, from this Philadelphia team. Jalen Hurts looked good for the most part. He was really, um, I guess, kept back just by how dominant the Eagles run game is. So we really haven't seen him be put into a position where he's stressed out since his injury. And that'll be something that will definitely put be put uh, to the test against San Francisco. So a little nervous about that and how the pass game develops. I know AJ Brown uh, was dealing with, uh, I believe it was a knee injury during that Giants game. So that's something to monitor. Um, so just a couple of concerns with the pass game, but Really surprised by how this game went. Uh, just not the same Giants team that we saw the previous week against the Vikings. Is that more of an indication on the Vikings? More of an indication on the Giants and inconsistency? Not entirely sure, but all I do know is that Philly plays really well. And they're making this matchup against San Francisco probably a tougher one to pick, uh, at least for me. Philly came out with a chip on their shoulder, too, this week because all the talk about how the Giants upset the Vikings and some analysts were even picking giants over Philly. I think Philly just wanted to come out and shut everyone up and show them that they're still the top dogs basically. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think they went in honestly trying to prove themselves once again as that sort of elite team in the NFC. And I honestly didn't expect it to be that big of a blowout as well. I thought it was going to be a one, two possession game at the worst, but yeah, Philly came in and absolutely dominated with the run game. As Ben mentioned, Jalen Hurts looked good, but again, didn't really have to impress anything, especially with how dominant that run game was. And then the defense was the shining part. We talked about that and how it really was a big talent mismatch with Slay and James Bradbury and the lack of wide receiver depth that the Giants have um, in their wide receiver rooms. So pretty expected result there, just a little bit of a further gap in the score than we imagined. But we move on to the Sunday slate now. First game and probably the biggest upset of the four games, especially considering how the game went. I don't mean upset in the sense of who won. I mean upset in the sense of how the game went. And that was the Bills and the Bengals. Final score, 27-10 in Highmark Stadium. Cincinnati ended up clinching that win. The Bengals absolutely dominated this game i mean from the get-go in the first possession joe burrow did not look back once josh allen and the Bengals' offense looked pretty much lost the entire time and there's there's ben and his joe burr jersey um anyway the Bengals 
came in, steamrolled, knew what they were doing on offense and had a game plan. The defense also played really strong, only held the Bills to 12 points in the, or 10 points in the snow. And they now move on to play the Chiefs in Burrowhead Stadium. What did we think from this game? I mean, Bengals absolutely dominated. The Bills looked like a deer in the headlights. Did we expect Buffalo to really blow this one as much as they did? Yes. <laughs> All right. You didn't win the division, Benny. We, we were just talking about the Bengals okay. won. You didn't win so the division. here's the thing, right? So this entirety of, like, even the second half of the season with the Bills, Josh Allen has looked a shell of himself. I don't know what the deal is. I keep going back to that elbow injury because it was right around that el- when that elbow injury was suffered by Josh Allen that he became like super erratic once again. Uh, a really good comparison is like he's really up and down like a roller coaster. You never know what you're going to get from Allen. And unfortunately, that's becoming the case again. Like we thought that was kind of dead and done, but he's up and down again. And, and the Bills secondary it was non-existent they uh, suffered a bunch of injuries not only before the game but during the game as well um Tredavious White with that uh big PI that ended up causing a concussion for him and one of the other Bills secondary members Jordan yeah, Porter that, that was, was oh my god that was just bad sad bunch of things that rhyme with dad um <laughs> not great um but w- once again it's Joe Cool, baby. Like, Burrow is once again proving that he is, if not the best, he is the second best right behind Mahomes. And I don't think that can be debated now, especially after beating Josh Allen. And it's going to be a situation now where beat a beat-up Ravens team without Lamar. Beat up a Bills team that was lacking true secondary and was dealing with their own issues with Josh Allen. Now they're facing Mahomes not at 100%. It's in Arrowhead, but also like you've got to take advantage of this if you're Joe Burrow. This is a big opportunity. Not saying that he can't beat Mahomes without an injury because he's already done it three times, but this is a big opportunity for the Bengals. I understand that. This is going to be a really close game, even regardless, just because of how we saw Mahomes. But, man, this is this is going to be a tough one. But talking specifically about the Bengals and Bills game, they were simply outclassed from the first snap. It looked like the Bengals were hungry. They were ready to play. And even the some of the Bills after the game just said there was no energy on the sideline. They were completely empty. Whether it was um, – Stefan Diggs yelling at Josh Allen in the third quarter and Josh Allen pretty much not doing anything to just some of the ugly plays that he made in the second half, trying to come back against Cincinnati. Burrow was pretty much done with this game after the first couple drives, they were able to put up 14 on the board. And I thought this was game was over and it was, so it was a bad game for the bills. Another good showing by the Bengals, but Man, they've really got to take this opportunity, especially if Mahomes is not going to be 100% in this upcoming game. I'm impressed uh, by the Bengals. They 
they're another team that kind of plays with a chip on their shoulder. Um, and they just play with this, they just play with this grit and this nasty football. Um, and Burrow really is really, really is baby Brady. Um, see, I, I don't want to give that comp. I, I think that's unfair to Joe. I think, I think it's okay to like think about it a little bit, but put, putting that mantra of baby Brady on him, I, I think we got to see a little bit more, even though I'm, I'm like one of the biggest Burrow guys. I, I just think I'm just speaking strictly on play style wise and the poise he play, plays with and the pocket presence he has and just the swagger he plays with. It's it's all comparable. Um, and I said when I made my prediction last week, I'm picking uh, which quarterback I trust more, Joe Burrow. And this showed because Joe Burrow, like Ben, I don't he didn't say it on here, but we were talking about it after the game. Joe Burrow didn't really do anything crazy, but you can trust him. He just makes the safe plays. Um, uh, the defense is incredible too. Um and Buffalo was outclassed in every aspect of this game, which is uh, kind of unfortunate because Buffalo every year they just seem to be poised or look to be poised to want to run, and it never happens. Um, definitely a very, very disappointing ending uh, to the Bills season, but the Bengals are rolling, um, and they, they look scary. Yeah. I, I've got nothing else to say other than I'm just I'm genuinely impressed with Cincinnati, how they came in under the conditions, stayed hungry the entire four quarters, and Burrow and this offense never looked back. They scored that first drive and they said, All right, we're winning this game now. They put it away in the first couple drives. As Ben mentioned, that game was practically over by like the third or fourth, probably the third drive, I mean, at that point, uh, for Cincinnati. But anyway, Buffalo's got to figure some stuff out, whether it's one thing, to add, the offense. one thing to add on that, Brett, just with Cincinnati, ran for 165 yards. They haven't done that in nearly a month. Joe yeah, Mixon non-existent. Joe, Joe Mixon much. Joe Mixon had his most amount of carries in this game since he did Week Nine. Yep, Which he had crazy. 20 carries this game, and he had, he didn't have over 20 since Week Nine when he had 22. Um, crazy. And another thing I want to mention: a lot of teams. Um, and you'll see it in young teams like the Bengals and their kind of pretty young defense. They were up, what, 17-7 at the half. Usually you're kind of content with that and you kind of let up a score. They only let the Bills get a field goal in the second half. So they just play constantly, like you mentioned, Brett. They just stay on them and they just play with – they're just so consistent um, yep. with their play. Every drive, the energy stayed the same throughout the entire time, which which mm-hmm. is what genuinely impressed me the most. They didn't cool down. They didn't go red hot. They just they played their game. They they yep. stuck to the game plan and they finished it. And Buffalo couldn't match it, so that's what finished it all. So our AFC Championship, we'll talk about it in a second, is Bills or excuse me, Bengals versus Chiefs in Kansas City. Almost a doozy there. Let's move on to our final and. Conclusion to the divisional recap, and that's the Cowboys 49ers at Santa Clara uh, Levi Stadium. This game was kind of odd in the sense that started out really slow, stayed slow until like the third or fourth quarter, and then San Fran kind of just 
it, they finished up strong with their defense. Very big defensive battle between both sides. There was only one touchdown scored between both teams. And like I mentioned, it didn't come until the latter portion of the second half. But final score was 19-12. to 12. San Francisco defeated Dallas. It once again takes out the Cowboys from the playoff run, the pain of Dallas fans. Stephen A. Smith had his, his rant on first take. Anyway, what were our takeaways from this final divisional recap game? And does this cement San Francisco as a legit contender for the Super Bowl against Philly? We'll get, I'll get to that last question after. Um, I was very impressed with how uh, Dallas's defense played. I know their secondary is very banged up, but they have guys who had stepped up great. Israel McQuamu has stepped up. Uh, J. Ron Curse has been great. And then even um, uh, Deron Bland has been pretty solid. Uh, so I like that from the defense. But I mentioned uh, if that comes out how he did against the Bucks, this could be a game. And I think that is true. I mean, Dak looked very, you know, inconsistent. He looks night and day, and you don't really know which Dak you're getting on a week-to-week basis. Um, this was a very winnable game. This game was in reach at any point uh, when Dallas got the ball because it was within a possession, but uh, they just weren't able to get it done. They weren't able to uh, match the – or overcome the defense of San Francisco – um, the Tony Pollard injury right before the half was so devastating uh, just because he is getting his bag or could be. Um, but this game, this game was in reach for Dallas. And it's kind of, um, it was kind of painful at times and kind of sad at times to watch um, just because they could not, they couldn't match it. Um, but San Francisco has been, they've been rolling too. They have, I believe the biggest win streak right now. There are like 11, 12 wins, but uh, yeah, pretty, pretty sad to see. Sad to see. So let me start off by saying this. The Cowboys should have won this game. This is the worst game that the Niners have played probably since October at the earliest. Like this is, that was the worst that San Francisco has looked on offense in that long. Maybe since Jimmy G was still the quarterback. Um, and Dallas was not able to take advantage of that at all. The only person that looked truly alive on offense, aside from Tony Pollard before he got injured, was CeeDee Lamb. Like, Mike and I were texting at the end of the game. I'm like, unless CeeDee Lamb, like, gets the ball every time and breaks away like he can, Dallas has no shot. And it, it's a situation where – like Dak looked phenomenal against Tampa Bay, really good. Just did not come through. And it's not even a situation of, oh, he threw two picks and they weren't able to come back from that. No, it's he threw two picks and then didn't do anything to really combat that on offense. That's what he's usually been able to do since he's uh, come back this season. They're averaging nearly 35 points a game when he starts. And that's even with him having that big interception uh, streak that he's had he's been able to throw picks but then have comeback drives where he looks really good and really settle the game down and able to put some points on the board you're not able to do that consistently against the san francisco defense their secondary is way improved than what we've seen in previous years their d-line is still great so you're not able to do that and you have to rely on zeke a little bit more without tony pollard out there 
and you can't truly do that anymore. The only thing that I truly I trust Zeke in is third and short and goal-to-go situations. That's honestly it. it. It doesn't seem like he has the juice to be a starting running back anymore, and we see that for a little bit now. But Dallas should have won this game. Uh, Brock Purdy looked okay, looked uh, looked beatable, and that's something that Philly can really take advantage of. But at the same time, I really can't see San Francisco playing this bad in back-to-back weeks. And that's not even that bad, to be honest with you. You couldn't have asked Dallas to play better defensively. They played oh, great, they played but the offense, just, the, the offense just could not take advantage. I think the only thing is like they were known for uh, kind of similar to what Philly was able to do, known for getting turnovers. They weren't able to get San Francisco to make any mistakes on offense, but again, not really likely to happen. I think the only turnover was the Ray Ray McLeod fumble on uh, the first punt return that they had in the third quarter. Mm. I think one big thing for Philly is having that turnover luck that they had previously in the season against the Niners. That's going to be huge in this game coming up. Yeah, I think that, honestly, I could not ask for anything else out of Dallas's defense. They played phenomenal. Defensive line was consistently putting pressure up on Brock Purdy. Secondary looked pretty decent for the most part, not too shabby. Probably the biggest weakness. And linebacking core, honestly, uh, kept the 49ers run game in somewhat check. I mean, Elijah Mitchell um, had a pretty uh, prominent role in that offense. Kyle Shanahan said many times already that he expects Elijah Mitchell to continuously be the three-down power back to sort of use McCaffrey in dynamic situations. But 49ers end up coming away with the victory. Probably their worst game since Ben and Mike mentioned October. They get lucky. They will now go into Philadelphia as the two seed and try to take down the Eagles in the NFC title game. And with that, it successfully wraps up our divisional round recap. We will now jump into each title game as we preview them for championship Sunday. We'll start with the AFC title game first. Bengals Chiefs in Burrowhead Stadium. Mahomes versus Burrow. If you look at the bat lines, Kansas City is actually listed as the underdog because of the Pat Mahomes high ankle sprain. Cincinnati looks like they're the team to beat in this case right now, especially considering how hot they're coming off of a game against Buffalo. What do we see happening in this game? What's going to be the result? Keep in mind some context clues. Cincinnati did defeat the Chiefs earlier on this regular season in Cincinnati. I want to go last, by the way. Mike, you can go first. Oh, great. Um, this is really tough. This is really tough um, because the Chiefs were the team that I picked prior to the playoffs starting. Um, I picked them in the Niners to make it to the Super Bowl. Um, and I didn't expect this Mahomes injury, which I feel they say he is improved, but it's just something that – um, I can't get out of my head. I don't know if I like. And it's also, on the other hand, um, the Bengals want to win this game. They're hungry. They're determined. They play, like I mentioned, with so much grit. Um, I, I think I'm going to uh, end this short. And I think 
I, I want to ride with the Chiefs, but I think I have to switch. I think I'm picking the Bengals in this game. I think I think I'm going Bengals. Um, Joe Burrow, the, the way he plays with poise, nothing seems to rattle him. So I don't think uh, Arrowhead's atmosphere will be too crazy for him. I mean, it's definitely going to be a factor, but I just think he is able to play his game um, no matter the conditions. Um, that defense is going to come out. Mike Hilton is going to have a lot of, I think they're going to run a lot of design cornerback blitzes from Mike Hilton just to see if they can get to Mahomes. I think he will be, I think they'll have Mahomes kind of limited uh, running because of his ankle. So I think they're going to try to rattle him and get pressure on him a lot in this game. Um, and if Mahomes can't really escape that, uh, I'm taking the Bengals. I'm taking the Bengals. All right. So we've kind of talked about this a few times already and how I think Cincinnati's main goal in this game is going to be how can we creatively design this defense to make Mahomes think we're dropping back in a coverage and allowing him to run. But as Mike said, kind of disguising that look and bringing cornerback and safety blitzes, continuously putting on quarterback spies. I think they're going to bring sort of a more dynamic look than you're used to. A lot of times you see Cincinnati dropping two, three corners consistently back in coverage um, to try and spread out this ball. But I think you're going to see a little bit more of an aggressive look uh, from the Bengals. And I think it's going to work, to be honest with you. Um, I think Mahomes will be fine, but I think fine's not good enough in this case. Um, I see the Chiefs, I don't know, 15, 20 points in this game. But I think Cincinnati's offense is going to stick to the game plan. I think the run game is going to be strong. I think Burrow's going to come into this game with a whole lot of confidence. If you can't tell already by this trend, I am picking Cincinnati to go to the Super Bowl for the second straight year. I think they're built for it. I think they've got the confidence to do it. I don't see Kansas City winning this game. I'm going with the Bengals. Okay, hold on. Add on to that. What do you mean you don't see them winning it? I don't see Kansas City winning it. What, what more is there to add? I just elaborate. Fair enough, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> So in a surprising turn of events, it seems like I am the person that has the most faith in Mahomes and Kansas City in this game. I still very much see this, even with this high ankle sprain. I see it as a coin flip. I've seen too much to, from Patrick Mahomes to think that him being a little less mobile and him dealing with, oh goodness, like the fourth, third best O-line in the league, he won't be able to get good enough protection. I think with what we've seen from their run game as of recently, it could be a situation where they could lean on Pacheco and McKinnon, which has been super successful over at least over the past like six to eight weeks. And they wouldn't have to have Mahomes be Superman. And I say this, and it would all work out if they weren't playing the guy that's 3-0 against them when he's healthy. And, man, it <laughs> Joe Burrow is going to beat him. 
for the fourth time, he's going to be four and zero oh against Patrick Mahomes. And guys, we're going to have a conversation on every sports television. Is Joe Burrow the best quarterback in football? He's four and zero oh against Patrick Mahomes. Here's the thing. I'm worried about Pacheco, who's a rookie running back. They're going to have maybe Clyde Edwards-Hilaire back. I think he was activated off IR recently. And McKinnon. If they're really dependent on Pacheco, I'm really worried that a rookie running back is going to have any success against this game, especially when they're going to be game planning, like you guys said, to really hit Mahomes as hard as possible. They're going to be very tough at the front line. It's going to be very limited to what he's able to do rushing. They're going to honestly have Mahomes try and beat him with his arm. And that's a dangerous game, especially with a defense in the secondary that Cincinnati isn't the strongest. He's got Jesse Bates out there, but not your best cornerbacks are out there as well. I just have too much confidence in the Cincinnati offense, what they're able to do. I think they'll have a good running, running game. I haven't seen any team since the Alex Kappa and Lyle Collins really put Burrow into a situation where he's not comfortable in the pocket. Even in the Ravens game where he was very limited on offense, he still had two drives where he looked really good and was able to let loose for two scores. I think this is way closer just because betting against Mahomes and making him beat you with his arm is a very dangerous game. But again, like you guys said, this is a very significant injury for Patrick Mahomes, who's a mobile quarterback. This is a tough situation, and I'm going to complete the clean sweep uh, by picking Cincinnati. So it is official. The three-and-out pick for the AFC Championship and to go to the Super Bowl is the Cincinnati Bengals. We will see if this prediction comes to fruition on Sunday. The other game oh, – by the way, by the way, uh, who I don't I don't recall um, who had the, the Bengals as uh, like the one seed in the AFC and like making it to the Super Bowl, uh, and other guys had uh, the Ravens beating them in the, the AFC North and stuff like that. Just, 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 just putting that out there. Go ahead. Here's Bunny again trying to gloat. Benny's trying to gloat. No, just uh, just show my. Who day? Make it a point. Make it a point. Anyway, the NFC title game, Philly 49ers in Philadelphia. It's the one seed versus the two seed. Seems like every analyst in the book has had this matchup since the beginning of the playoffs. It's going to be a very interesting game, potentially high scoring. It's the number one defense or number two defense, excuse me, in the NFL going up against the number one defense. Philly, of course, and San Francisco, respectively. This is going to come down to who has more experience in big game situations like this. Obviously, a lot of people are forgetting that Brock Purdy's only made seven career starts in the NFL. There's already been two of them in the postseason. He had five regular season starts, beginning with that Tampa Bay game. Two postseason starts. He makes only his eighth career appearance as a starting quarterback this Sunday in probably the biggest game so far of his career, unless he makes it to the Super Bowl. But will Brock Purdy's seven-game sample in experience lift him over an Eagles team that has pretty much 
swept the board the entire year in the regular season and up to now. What do we see happening in this game? Who do we have winning? I'm going to start with Ben first since he decided he wanted to go last in the AFC title game. So Ben, take I was going to ask for it anyway, Brett. So I appreciate it. Um, very easily, I have San Francisco in this game, um, and I feel quite confident about that. As Mike makes a face, and I know exactly why. Um, at least compared to the AFC game, I think this is a tale of not really what's going on with injuries. I think that both teams are coming into this one relatively healthy. I know that the Niners are dealing with injuries to both Christian McCaffrey and Elisha Mitchell. It doesn't seem like either of them are going to be missing any time, not only in practice, maybe at game off for McCaffrey, but uh, they will be there for the game. Uh, Philly pretty much is dealing with nothing aside from the A.J. Brown injury that I mentioned previously. You can say that Jalen Hurts' uh, shoulders still bothering him, perhaps, but I'm going to take the Giants game as he's at least healthy enough to be at 90%, which that's all that Philly can ask for. They're very similar to San Francisco where they're able to function with their quarterback, um, not having to put their 100% forward. With that, I'm in a situation where I just feel more confident with what San Francisco is pro providing on both sides of the ball. I think they've provided really good protection to Brock Purdy. And even though that San, San Francisco uh, did allow a couple sacks to uh, Brock Purdy against Dallas, I think it's probably going to be a similar situation against as talented of a defense uh, in Philly, maybe a little bit more. So I don't think, I don't think I see this offense uh, led by Brock Purdy doing any worse than what they did um, against Dallas. And that's saying something because they only put up 19 points when saying this for like the umpteen time, four out of their previous five games, they put up 35 points pretty easily. And the other one, they put up 21. So that's a pretty lethal offense. I know they're going up against the Philly defense and that's no disrespect. I just like, what's going on with that offense. Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. Those guys are all playing at their A game right now. It's really hard to stop any of those guys. And even though I think Philly's going to have a decent approach, I just feel more confident that San Francisco is going to be able to overcome the Philly defense more so than Philly's able to overcome San Francisco's defense. And I think it's kind of simple as that. I feel more confident in Kyle Shannon as well on the coaching side. So there's multiple facets of the game where I'm leading San Francisco. I think I'm hesitant that San, uh, San Francisco is going to let the Philly uh, run game kind of demolish uh, the defense. So the degree that they did last week, I think that's not to be expected for anyone, but I think they'll be able to control that really well, try and make Jalen Hurts beat them with his legs and with his arm. And I have a little bit of uh, withdrawals there. I think just maybe that's a gut feeling here a little bit, but I have more confidence in San Francisco. They've been pretty much my rock as the best team in the N NFC since, honestly, since Christian McCaffrey came over, and I, I got to stick with that. He's been great for them. So good. Mike, do you want – do you want to go next or you want me to take it? It's up to you. What do you want? I'll stick with second again. I'm agreeing with Ben. I am taking San Francisco in this game. As 
no disrespect to Philly. They have put up one of their best seasons in franchise history. They've gotten what? One loss the entire year. Sorry, two losses the entire year. Three losses the entire year. As I slowly, slowly recall in my brain. Uh, but three losses the entire year. One of their best seasons to date in franchise history. I just think San Francisco's got the better team. Even with Brock Purdy in this situation where he doesn't have as much experience, um, he's in a position where he doesn't have to overexert himself and be this superhero-type uh, persona. Um, Patrick Mahomes tried to do it last year against Joe Burrow and it completely flopped in the second half, tried to be this superhero character and didn't work out. He made a lot of mistakes. Um, Aaron Rodgers, same thing last year in the playoffs, tried to be this extra extra person in life, made a ton of mistakes, ended up costing him the game. Brock Purdy's just going to go out there and do his, do his thing. He's got the protection on the O-line. He's got the weapons to do it. And honestly, taking a look at how San Francisco's played their defense against Seattle and against Dallas, I'm really impressed on how D'Amico Ryans has been able to shape the looks and the schemes. If you're familiar with the San Francisco defense, they're notorious for lining up their uh, middle linebackers um, down low on the front five and then immediately dropping them back in coverage. It's fooled a ton of quarterbacks. It's a D'Amico Ryans classic. It fooled Dak Prescott. It fooled Geno Smith. I have confidence it's going to fool Jalen Hurts a little bit. And it's going to play into a factor of how effective can they get the ball out to A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. Um, I think it's going to play a larger factor down the middle where A.J. Brown's really successful, especially down deep in the middle. But, yeah, I think San Francisco's got the better team strategically and schematically-wise on both sides. So I'm going to go with the Niners as my pick. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I don't see San Francisco winning this game. Uh, I'm taking the Eagles in this game. And I compare it to... Um, I don't compare it to last week against Dallas, but I'm just going to use that as a uh, comparison comparison point. Um, Dallas's defense played great <coughs> against San Francisco. Um Philly is better in all facets of the game defensively than Dallas is. Uh, I trust their defense a lot more. And if you gave Dallas an offense like Philadelphia, uh, when they got the ball, when Dallas's defense was able to make stops and give the ball back to the offense, um, I trust Philly in that situation to be able to run, rush with the ball, score the ball, um, a lot better than Dallas did. Um, another point that scares me is Brock Purdy's been great. This is his third road game uh, in his NFL career. Um, first road playoff game in Philadelphia. Don't like that either. Um, the defense. Uh, now, San Francisco defense can't discredit anything same with the offense can discredit anything um they've done philly i just think has the overall better team i know ben i believe said the other way that he likes san francisco more i like philadelphia's team more um and it comes down to their defense 
making stops like Dallas did and me trusting their offense to take advantage of those uh of those stops that the defense gets. Um I, I don't I think I've talked myself up over the past few days since that game uh to believe that San Francisco I, I just don't see uh the 49ers winning this game. I'm taking Philly in it. So one thing I want to add quick is so one really big thing in this game is going to be how the turnovers fall. And one thing Philly was uh, really, really good at, perhaps you can call it luck, is their turnover differential. They had by far and away the best turnover differential in the league. However, I I think it's got to run up at some point. I, I, that's just a feeling that I'm having here, but with uh, Jalen Hurts not being at a hundred percent and the Philly team, since they've kind of lost their undefeated record, kind of looking, I don't know, more and more beatable where San Francisco has gotten stronger, excuse me, stronger in the year. I said stronger, um, stronger <laughs> with throughout the year. Um, that's kind of where I'm at. I don't even think uh, the turnovers or f- the Phillies defense not being able to get turnovers doesn't really matter to me because I trust their defense to make stops. Um, and I compare it to, I keep comparing it to the Dallas game when I think about it, because if Phillies defense can get stops, I trust their offense. Like I don't trust Dallas's offense. Like Dak looked bad um, when he got the ball late with Philly. They have the rushing attack. Um, I trust those receivers and even Dallas Goddard to be able to uh, get open. And <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, it might be me talking myself up, but I I don't see San Francisco winning this game. I get that. I think I think the only place where I'm a little bit different is I I don't see San Francisco having that bad of a game. That was that was their floor game. I don't think I I don't even think they need a bad I don't think I just think they would get outclassed. See, but that's because, not San Francisco though. They're never outclassed. The only time they were legitimately outclassed this season was when Jimmy Garoppolo played the Kansas City Chiefs, had zero idea what he was going into as one of his first games back at quarterback for the 49ers. Since then, the 49ers have dominated pretty much every game. Their offenses look stellar. They're now going into this game with probably one of the biggest heads of confidence I've seen them have in a while. I mean, even last year, like they had somewhat of a like a confidence level going up against like that crazy Rams defense. But this year, it's just at a whole nother level. I think they've kind of elevated their game like with experience and Shanahan getting his schemes up to another level, but I don't think it's possible to outclass the 49ers at this point. It's impossible. So that's just me. So Brock Purdy has never played a defense like he's going to on Sunday. Um, that on top of being on the road in a playoff atmosphere in Philadelphia is also where I'm like, has you know, Jalen Hurts played a defense like San Francisco? No, but I would trust. 
I would trust Philly's defense. I would trust no, I would trust Philly's offense, right? To score points against San Francisco's defense more than I would trust San Francisco's offense over Philadelphia's defense. And I think their I think their defenses honestly are pretty comparable because they're one and two in the league. They both have talent everywhere on the defensive side of the ball everywhere. Um, I think they're comparable there and I like Philly's offense more than I like, not even like I trust Philadelphia's offense more than I trust San Francisco's, <clears throat> which is weird to say because San Francisco has scored 30 plus in all but one game with Brock Purdy. Um, I think it comes down to the, um, on top of everything I said, it comes down to the inexperience in the road playoff game um, for me. All right. I think with that, it officially wraps up our talk. All good points. Just to clarify, back in the AFC predictions, we all swept with the Cincinnati Bengals. Here, Ben and I have picked the 49ers, and Mike is sticking with the Philadelphia Eagles. We will see who wins on Sunday with both games. With that, it officially wraps up our playoff talk here in this episode of the 3NL Podcast. We're going to... Shift gears a little bit. Once again, Brett Shavs, Mike Cicchetti, Ben Pope. Into a new topic here on the 3 and Out podcast. A new game. We remember playing a game last week, the NFL Grid. We've got a new, fresh set of ideas coming today. And this is a topic that's been talked about a lot, especially in talk show radio. And that is the giant quarterback market that is expected to be this upcoming offseason. There are a ton of teams that are going to be exploring the trade market and the free agency market and even the NFL draft for a new quarterback. But for today's purpose, we're going to stick strictly on the trade and the free agency market. So if I will share my screen here. On this graphic right here, we have nine NFL quarterbacks listed down below. We then have seven NFL teams listed above that are potentially either looking to switch their quarterback or maybe keep their quarterback the same. Who knows? Our objective is to go through each team and decide which quarterback they will be riding with next year and why. If you also believe this team will have a quarterback that is none of which down below, you may also do so. That is an option. So say, for example, I believe for some benign reason, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will go into the next year with Tyrod Taylor. I can explain. I would love that. I think everybody would love a Tyrod Taylor return. Um, Anyways, let's jump right into it. We're going to start with the Tennessee Titans. Now, the Titans have been in discussions for a little bit since they were eliminated from playoff contention that Ryan Tannehill would move on in the offseason. He's currently listed to hit the free agency market. There are multiple rumors that the Atlanta Falcons could be a home for Ryan Tannehill, but nobody knows for certain what his thoughts are. So let's plan out this scenario here. I'm going to start with Ben and work upward. Do we believe Tannehill will return to the Titans, or will one of these other eight quarterbacks be in Tennessee next year? So 
Tennessee's draft capital situation is something to keep in mind, and that's probably something to keep in mind with all these teams. They do have control of their upcoming uh, 2023 first. Uh, they don't have anything missing otherwise. Uh, currently, they do have Ryan Tannehill, as you mentioned, Brett. And I think Tennessee is in a situation where they are kind of in win-now mode. They do have some elder statesmen uh, on that team. As long as you have King Henry, I think you have to uh, make sure that you're trying to stay competitive, uh, especially in an AFC South where the only competent team currently is the Jacksonville Jaguars. They are one year away from having the number one pick overall. I know they just went to the divisional round, lost to the Chiefs, but you still have to keep that in mind, even though that the Jags are probably on the up and coming. With that all in mind, I think there's something that <coughs> kind of draws me in this situation. So GM is out for the Titans. Mike Vrabel probably has more control than he's previously had. Uh, with Tennessee. I think he's willing to go out and trade some draft capital for another player. Probably only has a couple years left. And that would be Aaron Rodgers. I think that the Titans uh, make sense for Aaron. I think that they provide him a team that uh, would be in a win now situation. He wouldn't have to be thrown into uh, a division like the AFC West full of uh, tough quarterbacks like Herbert and Mahomes. And it's been rumored as well that if the Packers are going to trade Aaron Rodgers, it would be to an AFC team. I think that this is the AFC team that would make the most sense. He wouldn't be over relied on with Derrick Henry. I think it would be a pretty even split between the pass and run game. They could add some weapons, not only in the draft with a 11th, the number 11 pick, which they would likely be trading to Green Bay. So maybe that's something that they try to do later in the draft. But they do have draft capital coming up. They do have Traylon Burks, who's developing. So I think it would be between him staying in Green Bay and him moving on to Tennessee. And let's get fun here. I'm going to put him in Tennessee. I like it. Mike, your take? Um. Tennessee, uh, I see here as a team that tries to go big um, on a quarterback, but just can't uh, can't get anyone. I feel like they all fall in uh, different different places. I'll keep mine simple. I think they stick with Tannehill for the year. Um, I believe he has one year left on the deal. I think they'll let him play out his contract. Um, with their kind of distrust teams in Malik Willis. So I'll put Tannehill in. Give me Tannehill to Tennessee. Um, and I think they really figure out their quarterback situation following uh, this year, or maybe even um, midseason. So Mike is sticking with Ryan Tannehill, Ben with Aaron Rodgers. I also believe that the Tennessee Titans are going to go big on a quarterback and free agency. However, I don't think they have as much draft capital as some of the other teams that are going to be in the contention for Aaron Rodgers. I'm actually going to have them keeping Ryan Tannehill in this case. I think they're going to be willing to spend enough money to keep him there for a year and see if they can get one more run out of Tannehill. Worst case scenario. Is he on a contract? 
I think he's going to be I, a free agent next year, if I'm not mistaken. He, he's got one year left. Okay. So they'll stick with Tannehill for that remaining uh, year yeah. and then let him hit the market. I'm going to say Tannehill to the Titans. So two for Tennessee with Ryan Tannehill, one for Tennessee, Aaron Rodgers. This is an interesting start already. Next up, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is an interesting situation. So to preface, Tom Brady is the current quarterback. He is scheduled to hit free agency this offseason as an unrestricted free agent. There is many speculations that Tom Brady will leave Tampa Bay after the result of this year. Um, he thanked the press in his last postseason or last postgame press conference for all the stuff that they do. Um, gave multiple indications to his teammates that this could be his last game in Tampa Bay if he decides to return to football. What's going to happen in Tampa Bay? I am actually going to start this one out. I'm going to say Tom Brady moves on from the Buccaneers, and I'm going to go with a different quarterback here in Tampa Bay. I'm going to go with Jimmy Garoppolo actually going to the Buccaneers. I think this is going to be one of those tweeny years for Tampa Bay where they're really just going to have to figure things out and start to go through the troubles of salary cap issues. I think with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and all these guys on defense, you're going to have to pay eventually. It's going to turn into uh, some, some pretty pretty tough times in Tampa Bay. You can't afford to keep Brady around much longer as far as contention goes. I think they're going to let him walk to somewhere else. He's already expressed interest on the West Coast. So I'm going to go with Jimmy Garoppolo on Tampa Bay. I think it makes too much sense. And, yeah, Jimmy G to Tampa Bay. Uh, I take it I'll go next. Thank you, Brett, uh, for your great hosting. <laughs> Not, um, no, you're great. Oh, whoa, whoa, Um, whoa. Yeah, I mean, I see Jimmy G and Derek Carr kind of in the same light. Um, I think if a team wants one and can't get one, they'll fall back on the other, whoever a team likes more. Um, Just to be different, put Derek Carr there for me. I also like this as well. And I have no other reason besides... hmm, just throw someone else beside. Oh, you're moving the field, bro. Hey, the field's there. We're good. My okay. goodness. Ben? So just because I don't see I don't see the my Miami Dolphins on the graphic. Um, I'm gonna say that Tom Brady stays in Tampa Bay. I, I think a lot of people are overreacting to the fact that he is like really not saying anything about what he's, his true intentions are and that all these rumors that, oh, the Raiders really want to go in on Tom Brady. Uh, uh, the Dolphins would consider if two is not going to be healthy, which I actually don't hate the merit of that. But guys, Tom Brady is 45 years old, familiar with everything that's going on in Tampa Bay. He had multiple offensive linemen at the beginning of the season dealing with season-long injuries. He's going to have another great O-line by the time uh, the spring comes around and summer when he's back at training camp. He's going to have a great O-line once again. He's still going to have Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. You're going to have a little bit of money to maybe improve the run game. This is still a really good Tampa Bay team. I think it would be really – 
I think it would be really sporadic if Tom decided to go somewhere other than Tampa Bay, except for perhaps maybe the New England Patriots. I'm just going to throw that out there. But Tom is someone that is very much in his regiment. I believe he's going to stay in Tampa Bay. Okay. I like this pick. It is a very strong potential. Again, Tom Brady, unrestricted free agent. We'll see if the Buccaneers re-sign him. He's got about maybe one or two years left. Who knows? It's Tom versus time. Moving on to probably one of the more interesting teams on this list, and that's the Baltimore Ravens. Now, in this situation, Lamar Jackson is an unrestricted free agent this offseason. The Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson are currently stalled on contract extension talks. The latest report is that the Ravens offered him a contract over $100 million, fully guaranteed, very similar to the Deshaun Watson contract that Cleveland gave him. It was 10 years, $200 million, fully guaranteed. This is getting into a step of the right direction for Baltimore, but is it enough to keep Lamar Jackson around for the Ravens? Mike, you're starting this one out. Does Lamar stay home in Baltimore or do the Ravens go somewhere else? Baltimore has built this team up for the past three years in Lamar's favor. Do me a favor and throw Lamar there for me. Um, if they do anything else or moving back backwards, he's proven that um, he is their guy. I mean, like I mentioned, he they've built their team around him for the past few years. Um, I think they should pay him. Uh, we saw this past season and last season when he doesn't play, the team is just kind of, you know, Tyler Huntley can't do it. And I don't see um, anyone else being able to match what Lamar can do for that offense. Our defense is incredible, though. Uh, they really came on in the second half after the Roquan Smith trade. But if the defense makes stops and you don't have no one on the offense to make a play, what good is it? I think you have to pay Lamar in this situation. Um, and I don't think there's another way around it. I'm in complete lockstep with Mike. I think the firing of Greg Roman says a lot in a little statement. I think it's that the Ravens in the front office see that they are building around Lamar. And if they need to fix the coaching that's around him, they got to do it because any of the teams that have the uh, franchise six or seven franchise quarterbacks that are under 26, 27 that are super talented, like Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, uh, Patrick Mahomes, guys that come to mind. Lamar is in that mold. You have to build around him. You don't get opportunities of having players like this in their prime very often. If he doesn't accept the franchise tag, you better be putting your best offer forward. They haven't done that thus far, but they still got some time. I think it would be a really, really tough situation to negotiate a trade. I think it'd be fun. But at the end of the day, I think the Ravens are a smart organization. They will stick with Lamar Jackson. I'm going to complete the sweep. I very much agreed with Ben, and I'm going to bring it up again. I think the firing of Greg Roman um, basically says what the Ravens' intentions are, and that is they're going to find an offense – uh, that fits Lamar and that he really enjoys and try to put themselves in the best position to bring him back. They already said they're going to give him a big 
chunk and um, the say of this new offensive coordinator to replace Greg Roman. And Eric DaCosta already came out um, with that contract offer over $100 million, fully guaranteed. And it goes to show the steps they're willing to take to bring Lamar back. I think this offense would be very much in a shell without Lamar Jackson, considering the way it's built. So I think Lamar will return to Baltimore. I think the talk is a little too much. Um, and yeah, a clean sweep for the Ravens. Moving on, it is the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams were in a doozy this year, very much regressed after a big Super Bowl win last year. They lost Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup about halfway through the year due to neck injuries and leg injuries to Cooper Cup. Now it kind of brings up this question, will Matt Stafford potentially retire? This neck injury was something that was reoccurring last year, and it's very much a questionable decision for Matt Stafford. Um, he's already gotten to a point in his career where injuries have been a big issue, um, and they've almost cost him his career a few times in Detroit. So the question is, will they keep Matt Stafford, or do they go in another direction? Do they bring back Baker Mayfield, who they signed about three-quarters of the way through the season last year? Do they bring in somebody else, or do they take another risk with Stafford? What do we think? I'll let Ben go first. Well, he's not on the graphic, but just put Matthew Stafford back up there. Uh, Sean McVay is back with the Rams. Aaron Donald is back with the Rams. That means Matthew Stafford will be back with the Rams. I think there was a chance that if one of those two guys in McVay and Donald did not come back, maybe there is a situation that the Rams would entertain trading Matthew Stafford, but you put the house up there. They, the Rams have already traded the house uh, for Matthew Stafford <laughs> and the players around him. So they, they have nowhere to go except for keeping Matthew Stafford. No reason to go against him. He was dealing with an elbow injury uh, for the time that he did play this year. I have no concern about Stafford. I think that the Rams will keep Stafford. And maybe if you want to put Baker in there, because maybe he stays around as their backup quarterback, that could be a situation. But Matthew Stafford will be the starter. And just make this simple. Make it simple. But give me the black house too. Let's just make it three black houses. How's that? Because I'm going with Stafford as well. That's um, perfect. Long story and why short. Is, why is Baker Mayfield, Justin Fields, and Tua in this graphic, but no Matthew Stafford? And then you put him with black houses, bro? It means they're staying home. They're sticking with their home guy. I don't know. Oh, okay. He just came up with that on the spot, Mike. Hey, it sounded good. All right. So clean sweep for Matthew Stafford sticking as the starting back or quarterback in L.A. The Green Bay Packers. There has been a lot of talk in Green Bay the last couple of days. The latest news being the Packers are exploring trade talks or at least willing to For Aaron Rodgers, they will only trade him strictly to the AFC. They will not trade him to the NFC. Top teams already being named are the Raiders, the Jets, the Titans, teams of that nature that are looking to win now but need that last step. Who do we see the Packers quarterback being next year? Is it Aaron Rodgers or is it somebody else? For their own sake, it's got to be Jordan Love for their own sake of just getting rid of the headache 
that his Aaron Rodgers, my God, why are you putting heart? Okay. But Jordan Love, even if you think that Aaron Rodgers gives you the better chance of winning like this upcoming year, he has been so much of a headache just in the past couple of years, not giving you a straight answer. If you're the Green Bay Packers, you've given this man every option. And now you're ruining the graphic again, Brett. Just, just stop all <laughs> your – my God. Um, I think the Packers still will have a decent shot of winning uh, with Jordan Love as quarterback. We saw that the Vikings have a lot of stuff to be working on. The Lions are close, but the Packers already have a really good roster. I think Jordan Love would be able to uh, handle it very decently with the coaching of Matt LaFleur and uh, the coordinators that they already have. I think it would be a, a smooth, smoother transition than a lot of people would think. Um, obviously, we need to see a little bit more out of Love, but he's only got, what, one or two years left on his rookie rookie deal, so it wouldn't be like, a lot to that, especially with a team that doesn't have, like, a super close ceiling. Um, I would give uh, Love a try, to quote the Jonas Brothers. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go next and, and pretty much ditto Ben. Uh, I've been on this since the since the Packers were eliminated. Um, I think loves their guy at this point. Aaron Rodgers got to go. He's a cancer. You don't know what the answer has been wow. for in the last few years. Um, it, it, straightforward. If you're if your franchise quarterback who you just gave two hundred million dollars to is not willing to say straight up that this is my team and that. He has a better chance of winning MVP over a Super Bowl. I'm sorry. Get him out. Trade him. Do whatever you can to get him out. I, I have not been a fan of him the last few years. I think they're better off with love. He showed some really promising signs in the times that he played this year. I'm going with Jordan Love. And I think an important thing to keep in mind here is not to cut off Mike here, but Aaron Rodgers is going to be welcomed by any team that brings him in. Don't doubt that. And he is still – his name still presents enough that he is going to be uh, a driving factor in a team's success. Aaron Rodgers is, but the Packers have dealt with this for so long. I feel like they're the only team that really deserves the opportunity to just, just move on. I think it's something that has really set its course. It's very similar to what happened with Brett Favre. That's why I didn't want to put Aaron with the jets. Um, But yeah. Mike, I think I think the Packers stay with their guy, uh, their in-house guy, and I also agree uh, it'll be Jordan Love. I think this is actually a perfect time to change things up and move forward with Jordan Love as your quarterback going forward because <laughs> you're you'll be acquiring about two first rounders, maybe more. Um, Jordan Love has been the backup for three years. He has. He has one more year plus a fifth option. So you have two years of Jordan Love starting to see if he is your future for the team. I think this is a perfect opportunity. I think two years starting gives you more than enough time to see if he is the guy you want to pay and move forward with. Um, And I don't think they can afford to wait, really. I think they need to do this, make this move now um, in being cautious that Aaron Rodgers, I mean, we're just one year removed from him being a back-to-back MVP, um, but he showed regression this year after Devontae Adams left. If he does it again this year, his dra- his trade stock 
or his trade value is going to fall even more. Um, you're going to do it now because, like Ben said, Aaron Rodgers' name still holds a lot of weight, and there are going to be a lot of teams that will give up the house for him. Um, and I think there's a, a perfect little refresh for Jordan Love. I think he's shown you enough promise in the games he's played, and he's played every start. He seems to get better and better. Um, and, I mean, he's been the backup for three years, so give give Jordan Love the keys now. Give him a little Romeo Dubs action and uh, Christian Watson. Beautiful. All right, so it seems like we're favoring Jordan Love uh, as the new guy in Green Bay. Moving on, two teams to go already. The Vegas Raiders. They've already pretty much made it clear that Derek Carr is gone. Carr pretty much came out on social media publicly and said his goodbyes. He's going to be no longer with the team. And Vegas is actively exploring trade options for Derek Carr um, this offseason. I'll go ahead and start this one out. I'm sending TB12 to Vegas. I think this is a match made in heaven. Tom Brady reunited with Josh McDaniels in a West Coast team that is looking to sort of find its synergy again. I think a matchup with Brady and Devontae Adams is too much to pass up on. The only concern that I have is that as of most recent – um, it came out that Vegas said that they are willing to actively shop a lot of their veteran pieces in order to shake up their roster a little bit. Those include Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller. So if they were to keep um, those guys, I think Brady comes to Vegas. However, if they do shop Renfro and Waller, I do think that Vegas will go in a different direction other than Tom Brady. I guess I'll go next. Um, the Raiders are a team I see being aggressive in pursuit of Tom Brady. I think Tom Brady is going to retire, in my opinion, so I'll move forward with that thought process. Um, they're moving from Derek Carr, and Jimmy G has history with Josh McDaniels, but you don't want to get the same mold of Derek Carr, and I don't think there's another free agent enticing enough to really move the needle a lot. So I think they go uh, fresh and I think they'll go in the draft uh, and say CJ Stroud. Um, I don't know what you're going to put for that, but give me, give me CJ Stroud or sure draft the little draft tag. Um, I think they'll move for, for the draft. I think they want um, Tom Brady, but Tom Brady going to the AFC West and having to play Denver's defense and, uh, Kansas City's defense, who's much improved, and the Chargers' defense, who will be improved for a third of the year. I think that's going to be a lot uh, for a 46-year-old quarterback on a team that um, would need to make a lot more improvements than the Bucks did when Brady went there. Um, the Bucks were basically win now. I mean, won the Super Bowl the first year he was there, and had the pieces. They just were that one quarterback away. The Raiders, I don't see. I don't see being in that same boat. Um, their defense needs to make a lot of strides of improvement. Their offensive line needs to get a lot better. Um, and they have good weapons. But I think I think the Raiders will say, oh, we got to figure something out. Brady is uh, going going home. Let's get uh, C.J. Stroud or someone who they like in the draft. And last yeah, but not least, Benny? The mixed reports coming from Vegas are – 
absolutely atrocious. This franchise is abysmal on a few levels. First of all, the treatment of Derek Carr is absolutely absurd. Um, Just the mixed reports of, oh, we want to go with Tom Brady or Jimmy Garoppolo or someone that is way better than Derek Carr, even though Brady probably has a better resume, obviously. He's probably still a bit of a better quarterback, but at 46, I don't know how much better. Jimmy Garoppolo is very similar to Derek Carr. I would take Derek Carr over Jimmy. And if they want to trade these veterans, then what do they expect out of Devontae Adams that just signed a new contract? Chandler Jones that they just acquired last offseason. Like, I, I honestly don't understand what they're doing. And when I don't understand what they're doing, I'm going to give them a quarterback that doesn't know what he's doing half the time, and that's Jimmy Garoppolo. So, that's messed up, dude. <laughs> for some reason that was one of the first reports that came out that they were going to go very heavy uh towards jimmy garoppolo the man can't stay uh with a pass throwing inside the end zone so um or back outside of the end zone, <laughs> um for some reason they see this as a upgrade over Derek carr which i don't know if i agree with um but it's in a situation where they have completely cut ties with Derek Carr. I think if they drafted a quarterback, they would be setting up for failure because you're in a situation where you're playing Mahomes, Herbert, and the shell of Russell Wilson uh, four times. Uh, so that would be a lot. So I, I'm in a situation where I think Garoppolo is relatively easy to acquire. We know the Niners aren't going to ask for too much uh, considering what they asked last offseason. So I think a deal can get done and Man, I just – they frustrate me so much. I i like the Raiders last year and what they were able to do. It is unbelievable what a year can do for a franchise. Yep, you're absolutely right. Um, all right, so Brady, CJ Stroud for MC, and Jimmy Garoppolo for Ben. Moving on, the last team, the New York Jets. Also, it seemed that – made it pretty clear they're done with their uh, supposed franchise quarterback in Zach Wilson, benched for Mike White, Chris Strebler, Joe Flacco, whoever the Jets decided to throw out that week. Um, but they are made it very clear as well that they are going to be extremely aggressive this offseason and going after a quarterback. I'm going to give the privilege to Mike here again to start it out. Mike. Who is your quarterback next year for the Jets? I think this spot is a match made in heaven for Aaron Rodgers. Um, The Jets are the only team uh, that really makes sense to me. I mean, I think think a few teams, like Ben mentioned, Tennessee, I think will be right up there, um, who will be willing to trade the draft. Yes, who will be willing to trade the draft capital for Aaron Rodgers. Although I think the Jets are one of few teams who can afford to take on that sixty million on the books, a lot, a lot, a lot of the Jets players are young and they're on their rookie deals, and I think you can afford to take that sixty million. I also believe they're a quarterback away from uh, being a Super Bowl contender, and I think Aaron Rodgers can get them to that point. Uh, they have the weapons, they have that defense to do it. Um, I also think this would be a good thing for Zach Wilson. 
Zach Wilson and Aaron Rodgers seem to have a good relationship, and that is Zach Wilson's idol. So I think the Jets would see that as an opportunity to maybe acquire Aaron Rodgers for a year, and uh, maybe that could wake something up inside of Zach Wilson, and you could see what he has um, once that year of Rodgers passes. I think this is just too perfect uh, to not happen. Um, I think would definitely, definitely be interesting for the AFC East. That's, that's honestly a really good point, Mike. I completely forgot about the connection that they had. So good on that. Got it. Uh, good on you there. My God. Um, I really want to see Derek Carr go to the Jets. I think that Derek Carr is a way better quarterback uh, than he gets credit for. We saw that last year when uh, he was able to get the Raiders to kind of the brink of the playoffs, able to get them into that uh, wild card round with a team that really had no right being there finally he would get a defense that isn't uh either mediocre or uh, in the bottom half of the league uh that would be so good to see him working with that he'd have a good run game uh, which he finally got after uh, many years without it um be paired up with garrett wilson a solid receiver hopefully the jets are able to do some stuff uh in the draft to kind of sub- supplement that a little bit more uh, just because of the struggles that we saw from Elijah Moore. But I think this is a team that has a decent amount of draft capital. I don't think Derek Carr would be uh, too much of an ask. I think he'd obviously cost less than Aaron Rodgers. And I think with Robert Sala being kind of a no-nonsense guy, I don't think he would want to deal with maybe the headaches that could come with Aaron Rodgers. I think Derek Carr is a very coachable guy, and I think that he would come into New York and be a really – a good quarterback for this team. They would them with Derek Carr or Jimmy Garoppolo <clears throat> is right up there uh, with probably the third, fourth best teams in the AFC. I think that would immediately elevate them. I don't think they need too much at the quarterback position. And I think Derek Carr uh, being like a 12, 14 guy would be more than adequate uh, with New York. I like both picks. I, though, am going with Aaron Rodgers as well. I think the big thing that sticks out to me is how aggressive the Jets have already come out and said they will be for Aaron Rodgers. Woody Johnson, their owner, already came out and said they will already pay two, maybe three first-round picks for Aaron Rodgers. They will do whatever is necessary to acquire him in the offseason, whether it's just to try to make a deep playoff run or be a role model for Zach Wilson, as Mike mentioned. But I think this is just too perfect of a match for Aaron Rodgers. I know there's a connection with the Jets and Favre, but I think this Aaron Rodgers fit is too good to be true. I think Derek Carr is going to end up somewhere else um, in the offseason. Not sure where that could be, though, whether it's the Colts for their fourth consecutive different quarterback in the last four years. Who knows? But four I don't know. years, bro. I got like eight years. Don't put that poor guy in there. He doesn't deserve that. No, I think I think the Colts. I think the Colts. Are, the I think the Colts are going draft. I think they should. If they're, I think smart. they have to. They have to. They've spent the last what three years trying to get not washed up, but like Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan. Yeah, you yep. know what would be crazy? No, would be crazy. Imagine if the Jets get Aaron Rodgers, and it just turns out to be like a Matt Ryan to the Colts situation. That'd be pretty sad. Imagine how disappointing that'd be. It'd be Brett Favre from the Jets. 
Oh, God. No. Aaron Rodgers wouldn't do that. Anyways, that pretty much also, concludes. Also, Woody Johnson, great name for a porn star, by the way. Oh, my God. <laughs> my God. I didn't even notice. <laughs> no reaction, though. I was just too stunned to speak, honestly. <laughs> Did not expect that to come out of MC's mouth. That, that's going to wrap up episode 21 of the three and out podcast as always if you like what you've seen and you like our content be sure to like our page subscribe to all of our platforms check us out on youtube spotify google Podcasts, apple music wherever you find your podcast these days um be sure to tune in for episode 22 where we recap our afc and nfc title games and sort of go over what's next for the nfl super bowl but for now Signing off, as always, with sneezing Alex Green in the peanut gallery, Ben Pope, and Mike Cicchetti. My name is Brett Shavs. Take care and stay healthy. Brett gets everyone sick.